Welcome to the Radiant Visalia podcast. Join us at one of our two services, 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. Download the Church Center app or visit our website, radiantvisalia.com, to stay connected with us. All right, enjoy. Uh, my name's Travis, and, I, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, we got rid of the name senior pastor because I don't really fit the senior pastor thing. So I'm the lead pastor, not necessarily the senior pastor, but I'm working on that. I'm getting older and a little bit fatter. So um, I, uh, <clears throat> I wasn't here uh, last week, uh, last week, Mark spoke. Uh, I listened to it online. He did a fantastic uh, job. Um, we are talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, last week, I was in St. Louis uh, speaking at a church. Um, many of you guys have maybe met Brian Mowry. I was speaking at his church, and his church is a lot like ours, except for there's one difference. They do simulcast where the message is recorded on video and, and sent to other locations. And I've never done that before. And so they kept telling me, you've got to look at the camera. You have to remember that behind the camera is another 250 people. So you can't, as you speak, just keep doing this. You have to look at the camera, you know, which was really difficult. And uh, I just, I had the toughest time you know, and, and, and much of it was that as I was sitting there and the ca- cameraman every like three minutes would wave his hand like to try to get my attention. Like, remember, you're not just talking to people, you're talking to a camera, which is then being, you know, broadcast to other people, keeps trying to get my attention. I keep not looking at the camera because some of it just felt so much like Christian television, you know, where you're like, there's someone out there. I know you're out there, you know. <laughs> so I was like, I am not going to talk to a camera, you know. It's like, and you at home who are listening, I've got a word for you, you know. And uh, that was difficult uh, for me. And uh, Christian television is a perfect segue into talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, because Christian television is, for many of you, um, maybe your only exposure to the things of the Spirit. And the topic of the Holy Spirit is a pretty controversial one in the church. If you're new to the church, um, you know, and you didn't know that, it, 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 that's the truth. It is. We, we argue about what the Holy Spirit does. We argue about when He does it. We argue even about gifts that He gives. Did He give that? I don't know. Maybe you should give it back. You know, we, we, we argue about, you know, it's a, it's a really, it's a hot topic. It's a controversial topic um, in the church. I thought Mark did a great job uh, last week just introducing people to the Holy Spirit. And um, I hope to just continue. Um, I'll speak out of the same text that Mark spoke out of last week and say some of the same things that Mark said last week. Um, because I think it's really important that, you know, what, what we're wanting to do as a church is surrender to the Holy Spirit. 
So our mission is to behold Jesus. We want to see Jesus for who He is. Then we want to put His brilliance on display. And we want to put His brilliance on display by living lives that are obedient to His Word, surrendered to His Spirit, and devoted to His mission. So we've been talking a lot about being obedient to His Word. And, and, and just as a plug, if you've never been baptized, what you have is an awesome opportunity to be obedient to Jesus, to actually do what we talked about. It was Jesus who said to us, repent, believe, and be baptized. And so that's why we do what we do. I mean, there's, there's symbolism, there's significance to it. You know, we're, we're being united with Christ in His death as we go under the water. We're being raised up into new life as we come out of the water. There's a lot of significance to it, but the bottom line is that He said to do it. And so we do it. Because there are things that He tells us to do that don't make a ton of sense. And we do those things too. So what you have, if you've never been baptized, if you're a Christ follower, and you've never actually done what He said to do, which is to be baptized, um, you have an awesome opportunity to be obedient. So I would sign up today if you've never been baptized or if you want to have a conversation. I know a lot of you maybe were baptized as infants and have questions about why didn't the first one take and why would I have to do this again. I'd love to talk with you uh, ab- about that. But we want to be surrendered to the Spirit. And I think Mark did a brilliant job of pointing out that we're not going to surrender to anyone that we don't know. And we're not going to surrender to anyone that we don't trust. And so I'm hoping this morning that you're going to get to know the Holy Spirit. My experience is that there's a ton of fear and a ton of um, misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. How many of you even when I, I, how many of you, this is the first charismatic church you've ever been a part of. It's cool. We're glad you're here. Be honest. Worship freaks you out. It's weird in here. Put them up there. That's awesome. How many of you are like, shoot, this isn't, you know, I'll show you spirit-filled. Like, like, you guys don't got nothing, you know. It's, it's a funny thing to be like, you know, too much for some and not enough for others. It's, a, it's an interesting thing to be um, in that place. And so... Wherever you're at on this journey with the Holy Spirit, we're excited that you're here. We really are. If this is the first kind of uh, church that you've been a part of where, you know, people are demonstrative in their worship and there seems to be an expression of the Holy Spirit's gifts, uh, we're, we're really glad you're here. Thanks for braving it. In Acts 2, um, it, it's the famous story about how the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church. And if you've never read uh, that story, I'd encourage you um, to read it. But it's funny, it says of the people that were there, the people that were there and saw the Holy Spirit poured out on this group, it uses these words to describe them. They were astonished, they were bewildered, they were perplexed, and they were amazed. And it's funny, that was a description of the church then, but I still feel like it's a description of the church today. We're still a little bit bewildered, still perplexed, still astonished, kind of amazed. And my experience has been that people uh, with the Holy Spirit like to keep Him at an arm's distance. There's fear and misunderstanding that surrounds Him. 
and his work. Paul wrote to one of the early churches and he said to them that I don't want you guys to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. I don't want the church to be ignorant concerning these things. And so he went on to write a couple chapters, Corinthians 12 and, and 14, the ones that aren't read at a wedding. Um, he wrote those to try to help this church that was ignorant concerning these gifts. And unfortunately, I still feel like we're there today, still ignorant about these gifts, still confused. And um, so that's not your fault. Uh, that's mine. That's my fault. Um, as pastors and as churches, we can sometimes avoid um, tough topics. We can avoid things that make people feel uncomfortable because what we're more concerned about is you being comfortable uh, than we are about your growth. And that's uh, not fair. That's not good leadership. And um, so we are actually going to be um, teaching through the book of Acts in 2014. And we won't avoid any of those things that you read about. There's a lot of supernatural, miraculous stuff going on in the book of Acts. And so we're going to talk about it. We won't dodge any of it. I don't know if you've come from a church that just avoided these things um, altogether, or maybe you came from a church where these things were abused. Um, I don't know where you're at, but we're going to go through the book of Acts, and we're going to not let our experience uh, determine what is true and real, but let the Word of God show us what is true about God. And so we're going to talk about tongues, demons, uh, healing, We'll talk about prophecy, um, we'll talk about prayer, preaching, all the things that we see um, inside the, the, in the story that's laid out in the book of Acts. So I'm looking forward to that. There, there's three camps within the church concerning the Holy Spirit. There are some people that believe that the supernatural stuff that we read about in the book of Acts was for then. That those signs and wonders, those miracles were for a certain group of people at a certain time. And now we've moved on. We have the Bible. And so we don't need um, those signs and wonders, those miracles, those supernatural things um, to, um, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? Validate. What, what is said is that the signs, the wonders, the miracles were needed by our first apostles and pastors because they needed them to validate the message. And now that we've got the message, we no longer need the miracles to validate what we're saying. We've got the Bible. There's another camp that believes that the supernatural gifts, the things that we see, the miracles going on in the book of Acts, that they're to mark the life of the church today. They're called continuationists. Those that believe that the gifts have ceased are called cessationists. And the church argues back and forth about, you know, was that for then? Was that for them? Is that for us? Is that for today? Uh, where do we see that? And they go back and forth. But I think most people are in a third camp, which is, I don't really know. I don't know what to think of this stuff. Um, you know, I've, I've heard about it. I've, I've seen some things. I've had some experience, but I really don't know uh, where I'm at. Our stance as a church is that we are, um, we, we believe that those gifts, those revelatory gifts, those miraculous gifts are to mark the life of the church today. Um, we don't believe that because of our experience. I don't experience a lot of supernatural stuff. 
I believe that because there's nothing in the Word of God that would tell me that those gifts ceased with the apostles or that they ceased after the time of the apostles. So I'm under a serious conviction that there's nothing in Scripture that would lead me to believe that those gifts were only for a certain time and only for a certain group. I believe that they're to mark the life of the church um, today. So that's the official position of Radiant Church. I don't know uh, where you're at um, with that, but I'd I'd like to next year, if you're still around, if you don't leave after me telling you that, um, I'd love to explain to you uh, why we believe that those gifts continue today and that God still does supernatural things um, today. My, my experience is that, you know, um, yeah, like I said, either people haven't been exposed to these things or that they've been exposed to some things that maybe aren't, necessary, not, aren't necessarily scriptural. And so we'll take a good look at what's going on in the book of Acts and... Um, and look to, to walk into that as a church. So here are some guidelines that we've put up in the past. So when I stand up here and say, the official stance of Radiant Church is that we believe in the supernatural. We believe that God does miraculous things. We believe that supernatural stuff is to mark the life of a Christian. Um, we, we've, we've put some parameters on that. And what we say here at Radiant is that we believe in the supernatural we want God to be super, and we want you to be natural. That's what we're after. So let God do the super, and you do the natural. And if you start doing the super, then we're probably going to have a conversation. Like, you know, if, if the supernatural is pointing to your super hair, or your super accent, or your super... If it's, if it's pointing towards you, then, then it's not going to fly around here. We love the supernatural. Let's let God do the super part. You do the natural part. The other thing is that we believe that there are signs and wonders given to the church. Um, They were given to the first church, and they're still given to the church. Signs and wonders, miracles. And if you know anything about a sign, it's designed to point to something beyond itself, right? Like Bakersfield, 60 miles. That's my, I hate that sign. (laughs) You think you're getting close, and then it says Bakersfield, 60 miles, and you're like, But signs, signs are designed to point to something beyond themselves, and obviously wonders are, you know, to get you to wonder. And so signs and wonders are to point to Jesus. Signs and wonders are, are, are designed to point us to Jesus and cause us to wonder about Him. When signs and wonders start to point to a person and get us to wonder about a person, I don't think they're doing what they were designed to do. They're designed to get us to, they're, to point us to something beyond themselves, to Jesus, the one who does these things, and to get us to wonder about Him. The other thing I just want to say is that Scripture is for us our supreme court. So we believe that God reveals Himself in many ways. We believe that we can learn from many different things. But what's revealed to us and what we learn is held up against the Supreme Court of Scripture. So everything bows to Scripture. So if God reveals something to you and says, you know, God told me to to do this or told me to do that, or, you know, we we measure um, those other things that God has said, other things that God has revealed to us by the Supreme Court of Scripture. 
You know, there are two camps within the church where it feels like there are those that are really excited about the Word. You know, they want the Word to be taught. You know, they want the Word um, uh, to be um, faithfully taught. And there are those on the other side who kind of want an experience or maybe are excited about the Spirit. And these two camps are kind of pitted against each other. And I think it's really, really unfortunate that we don't see this as a both-and. And what we're shooting for here as a church is to be a people who, who love the Word of God and also love the Spirit of God. Think about this. You know, for those of you who think there's a camp where there are those that are about the Word and those who are about the Spirit, think about this, that the Holy Spirit literally inspired every word of Scripture. He's the author of your Bible. So he's certainly not opposed to the Word I don't know why his camp is. So we think that these things can coexist, that we can be a people of the word, people of the spirit, and we're going to do that. Um, the other thing we, we don't want to do is we don't want to separate um, the fruit of the spirit from the gifts of the spirit. So we hear about all these miraculous, supernatural gifts of the spirit, like prophecy and and, and healing, and people get words of knowledge where they just know stuff. And we, we hear about those gifts, and then we also know about the fruit of the Spirit, right? If you grew up in Sunday school, you were told that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, and this is where I tail off because I forget the rest of them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Faithfulness, is that fruit? Wow. So, so, so the Holy Spirit does these two things where, where he gives gifts, we believe that, and he also produces fruit. We get in trouble as a church when people start to walk in the gifts of the Spirit, but don't produce the fruit of the Spirit. So they're doing all these spectacular things, but there's no love, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's no faithfulness, apparently. So we want both of those too. Man, let's operate in these great gifts that God's given his church and let's bear the fruit of the Spirit too. Let's not separate those. Man, if, if, if you're producing the fruit of the Spirit, we're really excited. Even if you don't feel like, well, I don't know if I'm walking in the gifts of the Spirit. Well, I mean, the fruit of the Spirit is a big deal. It really is. It's just as big a deal as the gifts of the Spirit. And so those things will be held on level ground. The gifts and, and the fruit. Um, the other thing, just the last thing, is that, you know, these, these gifts, they're actually called grace gifts. That's what they're called in, in, in Scripture. The gifts that the Holy Spirit gives are grace gifts. And grace is unmerited favor from God. You don't earn grace, right? And I think... Churches get in trouble when these grace gifts start to operate like merit badges. Like you've earned this by being super spiritual or you've ascended to the next heaven and God has revealed something profound to you or you have, you know, we, we start to think like, uh, I've used this analogy before, like these are levels in contra to conquer and you get a new gun or, you know, like, these aren't merit badges to earn. These are grace gifts that God gives. 
And it's really important that we see him that way. You know, operating in these, these um, miraculous, even supernatural gifts, again, does not make you necessarily spiritual. I was just listening. This is a rabbit trail. Ooh. I'm going to go anyways. I was just listening. I was just listening. I was just listening to John uh, M- MacArthur, who, who is a guy on, on the other side who thinks, man, this stuff ceased a long time ago. And the people who continue in it are doing a disservice to the church. And um, John MacArthur is a great uh, Bible teacher. And uh, so he was, someone asked him, like, what do you think, you know, about these miraculous gifts? Have you softened on your stance? And and in fact, he hasn't. He just released a new book um, called Strange Fire, just kind of railing on the charismatic camp. Encourage you to pick that up. Um, No. (laughs) So he, (laughs) I got to. Yeah, so anyway, so they, he, they ask him and they say, hey, look, um, like, what do you think about these gifts? And he says, no, I, absolutely not. These things are not for the church today. And he, he said this, if they were for the church today, why wouldn't God give them to people with good theology? Why would he give them to someone like a Benny Hinn? If they were still a part of the life of the church and they were still used to validate the message, why would he give them to certain messengers? Why wouldn't he give them with, to people with rock-solid theology to validate their message? Why, did, why does, I'm paraphrasing now, why doesn't he give them to yahoos? Or why does he give them to yahoos, you know, to validate a message that's maybe off? And again, I, I was listening to it, I thought that's a really valid point, but it's not. Because these are grace gifts. You don't earn these. Okay, now my theology is sound. Okay, I'll take the gift of um, mm, tongues. You know, like you don't earn these things. These are grace gifts that come uh, from uh, God. So having said that, um, I've just talked about kind of guidelines and things that we've laid out as a church to keep us from maybe excess or abuse um, but I want to talk this morning about um, where I think the real abuse is, where I think the real excess is, and where I think the real neglect is. And it's not um, with, an ex- it's not with um, too much, it's just too little. And it's just as excessive. I'd say we're, that we're swimming in excessive fear and misunderstanding about the Holy Spirit. And I think it's abuse to neglect the third person of the Trinity because we've seen strange things or, you know, this one time I walked into the, you know, or they had snakes or I don't know what your experience is. But I, <clears throat> I think we, you know, we've set up some things here in the church from keeping people from going too far. But the bigger problem in our church is that you don't go far enough. You do not trust the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's the, um, I, I, you know, I was just thinking through this. And so I, I don't want to talk about his gifts, even though we've talked about his gifts. I don't want to talk about when he baptizes people. We'll address that as we go through the book of Acts. I want to talk about who is he? Who is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? Because again, you will not surrender to someone that you do not know and trust. And this is really unfortunate, but um, 
I would say that we've used primarily non-personal terms to describe the Holy Spirit. And it's got us in trouble. So when we think of the Holy Spirit, we don't think of God Himself. We, we don't think of the third person of the Trinity, right? Man, I, am, I took a walk on these notes. Can I back? Forget I ever said that. I'm going to back up. And then we'll edit it on the computer and it'll sound all smooth. Um, <laughs> stick with me here. Um, so, <coughs> so for many of us, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit, um, His work, uh, what He does, maybe all of this is very new to you. Um, but anytime we're getting to know um, someone new, we're almost always introduced to them by somebody else that we do know and do know well. So anytime we meet someone new, we, they've been introduced to us by someone that we know. And what I'd like to do is, I don't know who introduced you to the Holy Spirit. I don't know what experiences introduced you to the things of the Spirit. I don't know where you've been. I don't know if this is all new to you. But I would love it if you would let Jesus introduce you to the Holy Spirit. I would love it if you would let His words in John 14, John 15, John 16 introduce you to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read from John 14. Would you pretend like you don't have all the experiences that you have? Would you pretend like you don't wear the lenses that you do? Would you pretend like you're hearing this for the first time? Remember that Jesus right now is talking to his disciples. He's about to be crucified. And so he is not talking to a crowd here. He's not preaching a message to a crowd. He's not arguing with religious leaders. He's not speaking in some sort of cryptic parable. He's having dinner with his closest followers, the people who had left everything to follow him. Think about it. These people had left everything to follow him, and now Jesus was about to say he was leaving. And of course, he had to remind them over and over again, don't let your hearts be troubled, because that would be troubling, right? That would be troubling. I mean, think, think about this. I, I mean, even if I said this morning, I'm leaving. I would probably then follow that by saying, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um, Jared does a heck of a job here leading, and Jared's going to leave. You know, I would, I would find something that would bring comfort if I said I was leaving. And here's the thing. You know, so that would be, that would be disappointing for, for some, or at least I'm making up that you would be disappointed if I announced <laughs> this morning. It would be so disappointing if I left. But, you know, if I, now I'm, I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. You know, many of you have had to say goodbye to, to parents and to people that you love. And, I mean, 
a sacred moment. And, and, and this is a sacred moment as Jesus talks to his disciples. And, and, and here's the thing. It would be difficult for you to hear from me that I was leaving. And, and I'm supposed to never preach myself. I'm supposed to never say from this pulpit, come to me. I never hop up here and say, if you're weary and heavy laden, how many people are weary and heavy laden? Come to me and I will give you rest. I never hopefully preach me. Jesus always preached himself. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. Why don't you come to me? Come to me. Why do you refuse to come to me? If you're heavy, if you're whatever, come to me. He's constantly calling disciples to himself. Come to me. Come to me. Come to me. He's calling people to himself. And then he says, I'm going to go. I mean, if I was one of the disciples, I would have been like, hey, but that's a bad idea. I left every, I mean, some of you, some of you today, if I said, I'm leaving, you would say, what? I mean, we've sacrificed so much to be a part of this church. What in the world? You know, can you imagine what the disciples felt? Jesus is like, guys, I'm going. Don't let your hearts be troubled. They'd be like, that's a bad idea. We left everything to follow you. We left everything to follow you, and now you're going to leave us. You even told us that you wouldn't leave us, and now you're going to leave us? What is going on here? And Jesus is like, hey, don't let your hearts be troubled. And they're like, too late. I'm troubled right now. Where is our miracle working leader going? Where are you going and what is happening, right? So this is, remember the context of these words. This is a really sacred moment. This is something of a farewell speech. If you have a red letter Bible, there are red letters that just cover these pages because Jesus is giving them information about what's going to happen when he leaves. So here's what he says to them in John 14, verses 16 through 27. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That word there, um, that word another does not mean different. It actually means the same. To be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I mean, you've had this conversation with your kids, right? I just left for a week, and when you're leaving, it's like, I'm going to go, and they're like, I'm going with you. No, you're not going with me. Where I'm going, you cannot go, but I want to go. Sorry, where I'm going, you cannot go. And then you say, hey, but you're not going to be alone, right? This is Jesus. I'm leaving but I will not leave you as orphans. You will not be alone. I will send a helper. I will send a comforter. I will go and I will ask the Father and He will send you another helper. In a little while, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. I mean, they must have just been sitting there going, what in the world are you talking about right now? You're not going to see me but you're going to see me. It's like, what? <laughs> Great. I feel a ton of comfort. <laughs> he's, he's about to die, and what he says to his disciples is, because I live, you also will live. 
And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas Iscariot said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? How are we going to see you and the world's not going to see you? And Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper the Holy Spirit from, sorry, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He goes on to say, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. He has to say, if you have the King James, it says verily, verily. Because he has to say, I know you're not going to believe this. I know you're going to think I'm crazy right now. It's better that I go. Do you believe that? That it's better that we have the Holy Spirit than, than Jesus here with us? That's an unbelievable, I mean, no, no, no wonder he had to say, I tell you the truth. It's like he had to say, you're not going to believe this. It's better that I leave. It's better that I go. What? No. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And I know, party, you can probably read that and go, well, that's not comforting, that the Holy Spirit's coming to convict me of sin and righteousness and judgment. See, I told you I shouldn't want anything to do with the Holy Spirit. All he's going to do is tell me what's wrong. Read this again with me. He's going to convict, and and that word, we hear convict, and we think of a courtroom, but that word means convince. He's going to convince you about sin. He's going to convince you about uh, righteousness. He's going to convince you about judgment. And then he goes on, I'm going to convince you about sin. The Holy Spirit is going to work to convince you about sin. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is fantastic. You should welcome it. Because here's the thing, we all want conversion, we all want change, we all want to grow, and there will be no conversion without conviction. You have to have conviction in order to have change, transformation, and conversion. It's just the beginning. Jesus doesn't point out things in our life to leave us there. He shows us things, and then he leads us forward. You want him to convince you about sin. So he says the Holy Spirit's going to come. He's going to convince you what's in and what's out. He'll convince the whole world of what's in 
and what's out. And here's the good news is that no one gets a Savior who doesn't need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit's job is to show us we need a Savior. And the people who need a Savior get a Savior. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. And then he says that he's, he's going to convince you concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. When you hear righteousness, you think right deeds, you think of moral standing. But the truth is, is this, is, this is about right standing. The Holy Spirit will convince you of righteousness. He'll convince you that you have right standing with God, not based on your performance, but based on what Jesus has done. He'll convince you that Jesus Christ, he'll convince you of his death, his resurrection, and that he's at the right hand of the Father as an advocate. And we now have righteousness because of what Christ has done. What, what, is, what, um, what John's not saying here is that he's going to convince you that you're not doing it right. He's actually come to convince you that you have righteousness because of what Christ has done. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. In fact, that's, he does that more than he does anything. Just point out to you where you're not measuring up. Show you. You call yourself a Christian? Seriously. Quit now. This is pathetic. Constantly accusing you. Constantly accusing. And here is the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit convincing you that you are righteous because of Christ. That you stand before God. That you have an advocate who speaks on your behalf. The Holy Spirit convinces us that we have right standing with God because of what Jesus... And, and, and the Spirit of truth helps us combat the lies. That you'll never be more than this. That you're always this. That God feels this way about you. It's the Holy Spirit that convinces us. No, we have right standing with God. And then it says concerning judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. And here's the thing that the Holy Spirit does. He reminds us that Satan, that our adversary has been defeated, that death has been swallowed up, that we have victory. This is what the Holy Spirit does. So he reminds us that we have right standing. And not only do we have right standing, but the ruler of this world, which is Satan, has been judged. He's been rendered powerless. All he has are those lies. All he has are those words. He's been defeated. And so this is, again, the work of the Holy Spirit. So don't read that and go, yeah, I've heard that from some Holy Ghost preacher before, that I need to be convinced of my sin and righteousness and judgment, because that's what God's come to do. No, it's, read it again, because it's very different. So the first thing I want to say, <laughs> and the last thing, And I, I, I think what, you know, really is the most important thing that I was going to say is that the first thing we see as, as Jesus takes us and introduces us to the Holy Spirit, I mean, the first thing that Jesus shows us is the Trinity. Here we have a picture of, of, of God the Son asking God the Father to send God the Spirit. And you won't find the word Trinity in Scripture, but this is an amazing, amazing picture of what we've 
come to love and come to know as the, you know, the trinity of the Godhead, that God, that we're monotheistic, we believe in one God, but he exists in three persons. That he's the same in substance, but he has distinct persons. And he, and he works through, you know, like we say, there's famous creeds that say, we believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, and we believe in God the Holy Spirit. And this is what Jesus is showing us here. I'm going to go to the Father. He's going to give you another helper. And He'll be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. So here we have Jesus letting us into this mystery of, of the Trinity, of the Godhead, saying there's God the Father, and God the Father gave the Son, and now the Son is giving you the Holy Spirit, but the work of the Holy Spirit is to reveal the Son, and it's the Son, Jesus, who shows us the Father. And then the Father gives the Son, and then the Son goes, I'm going to give the Spirit, and then the Spirit reveals the Son, and then the Son reveals the Father, and it's Jesus is letting us into this beautiful mystery, this beautiful community that we're a part of. That God exists as, as one God, but in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The question I want to ask you this morning, really, that do you believe that the Holy Spirit is, is just as much God as God? Do you believe that the Holy Spirit is just as much God as Jesus? When we say surrender to the Spirit, you need to know that we're saying surrender to the Spirit of God. That famous creed, if honestly, if I could read it on behalf of the church today, I would say it reads more like this. We believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. We're all pretty clear on that. We believe in Jesus Christ, His Son, but we're not so sure about the Holy Spirit. Francis Chan just wrote a book called The Forgotten God. And I don't think that we think that the, the Holy Spirit is a full and equal member of the Godhead. I don't think that we think that he's a full and equal member of the Godhead. And that's a problem. And I'll tell you where I think the problem comes from. We sang a song earlier, I thought it was a great song, but we started singing, God, let your fire fall down. And we've used a bunch of non-personal terms to describe the Holy Spirit. Think about it. The Holy Spirit is what? A ghost, if you've got a King James Bible, right? Who's going to surrender to a ghost? Or he's a dove. I'm not surrendering to a dove, you know? <laughs> Or he's fire, or he's wind, who's going to surrender? And, and I really think as a church, one of the things that we need to do is to downplay the non-personal terms that we use to describe the Holy Spirit. Describe his work as fire, describe his work as wind, but he is not wind, fire, doves or you know water or whatever is like the prevailing analogy that we use to describe the Holy Spirit. Listen, when we keep talking about the Holy Spirit like he's a force, when we keep talking about him like he's a fire, then people start to think that the Holy Spirit is a force that they possess and not a person that they get to know. He's the third person of the Godhead. And I know when you hear me say person, it's a little bit weird to describe 
God as, as, uh, as um, one God and, and three persons. When I, mean, when I say person, I do not mean that he's a human. I do not mean that he's a people. What I mean is that he's a being with a personality that you can get to know. You can't get to know fire. You can't get to know dove. Maybe you can. Maybe you have doves. I don't know. <laughs> you can't get to know doves. You can't get to know the wind. You can't get to know the water. These are not good terms to describe the Holy Spirit. We need to know that he's a person. That is that he is a being with a personality. The scriptures tell us that he has a mind. The Spirit of God has a mind. Romans 8, 27, he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. He has a will. The Holy Spirit has a will. You can get to know him. And they went through the region, Paul and his, his missionary buddies, they got, a, they got a plan, I'm going here. And having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word of Asia, they went in a different direction. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. That word forbidden means to exert one's will. The Holy Spirit just exerted himself. This is what you're not going to do. He has emotions. You've probably heard the famous passage from Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Hear me today. The Holy Spirit, you don't have to be afraid of Him. He's not just a, a force that you need to possess and channel. I mean, that's nonsense. He's a person that you get to know because He has a mind, will, and emotions and he's just as much God as God. Just as much God as Jesus. He's a full and equal member of the Godhead. Is he for you? A full and equal member. I'm good with God the Father. Well, I am now. I had some things I had to work out with my own dad. But now I'm starting to get my head around this. I'm good with Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. That spirit stuff is weird, man. I'm not surrendering to a fire. I'm not yielding to a dove. You know, like... These are, again, non-personal terms that I don't think are, are doing us any good. He is not a thing. He is not an it. He is a person. And I know some of, just the word, the Holy Spirit, is part of the problem. You know, if he had a name, like if it was God the Father... Jesus and Bill, it'd be easier to, to, to connect with this. The Holy Spirit of God is the third uh, person of the, of the Trinity. I think that, I, I just, I was thinking about this uh, today, to, not today, I want to make you think that I thought of my sermon before today. But I was thinking about this this week. <clears throat> the issue in my mind is like, I don't think we know who we're dealing with here. I don't think we're going to surrender to him until we get to know him. I don't think we're going to get to know him if we keep referring to him as an impersonal force or a thing or an it or someone who makes you do something you don't want to do. So I was thinking of the evidence that we don't know who we're dealing with here. The evidence that we don't believe that the Holy Spirit is a full and equal member of the Godhead is that we always place conditions on the Holy Spirit. 
We know what a joke it is to place conditions upon relationship with God, right? We know this. Like that when you come to God, you don't say, hey, God, I'm excited about a relationship with you, but I want this and I don't want that. And this is pretty cool, but I'm not into this so much. So what I'd like is I'd like to do this and I'm going to create my own combo meal. We know that that's a joke. No one comes to God that way. And thinking about it, I was thinking about Job. You know, uh, Job has this um, story of suffering and, and, and trouble and really teaches us a lot about how to struggle, how to wrestle with God. And for 37 chapters, he's asking God questions and God is silent. And he's struggling and he's hurting and he's suffering and he's in a terrible bind. And then finally, in chapter 38 of Job, God goes, okay, Job, get ready. I'm going to speak to you. And it's like, finally. And God goes, I'm going to question you and you answer me. God never answers Job's questions. And you know this if you follow God, that when you come to him with your terms like, okay, God, I'm into you, but I, 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 this is what I need. And if it doesn't go this way, then I'm out. That We know that that's a ridiculous way to approach the God of the universe, right? When God finally speaks to Job, literally what he says is, Job, gird yourself up like a man. Put on a cup because I'm about to talk to you. <laughs> Literally, put on a cup because I'm going to talk. I'm going to ask the questions and you're going to answer me. And it's like, whoa, God has spoken. You know, like, I guess maybe we don't get to complain, question, and, and, and get, you know, what we want when we want it. So we also know it's a joke with Jesus. I mean, how many people got to follow Jesus that didn't leave everything? When people came to him and explained their terms like, you, you're impressive to me, Jesus, but I've got these other things going on, and if I could just wrap these things up, then I'll start to follow you. We know how it goes for that guy, and it doesn't go well. He doesn't get to go. We don't get to come with our terms. We come before God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself with our terms. Well, Holy Spirit... Um, I'm into like hand raising like this, but like if you ever ask me to actually raise my, I'm not so sure about that. And this is kind of weird. And so it's like, I want a little bit of you, but not a lot of you. And we think with the Holy Spirit that that's okay. We don't know who we're dealing with. We're dealing with God. The Holy Spirit is our God. And it's a joke to approach God with our conditions. It's a joke to approach Jesus with our conditions, and it's a joke to approach the Holy Spirit with our terms. I'd like to get my foot in the door, but I don't want things to get excessive, crazy, you know? This is, and what it does is it reveals an incredible amount of mistrust and fear and unbelief towards the Holy Spirit. He is God. We're dealing with God, the third person of the Trinity. Would you stand? We're going to pray. Jesus goes on in that passage to talk about how the Holy Spirit is our helper, how the Holy Spirit is our comforter, um, and, and Jesus actually says, I will come to you. Galatians tells us that because we're sons, we've been sent the Spirit of the Son. So it's uh, literally, we get the Spirit of Jesus. That was the last four pages of my sermon in a sentence. <laughs> Let's pray.
We want more of you, Holy Spirit. We want more. We, we, we've been totally fine with people telling us that we need more of God, and we're like, yeah, you're right. We've been totally fine with people saying you need more of Jesus, and we're like, we're to- you're totally right. And then when people say you need more of the Holy Spirit, we freeze. No, I got the Holy Spirit. I'm good. Thanks. I'll pass. Ridiculous. We want more of you, Holy Spirit. We need more of you, not just more of God in our lives, not just more of Jesus in our lives. We need more of the Holy Spirit. We repent for not seeing you as a full and equal part of the Godhead. We repent for viewing you as some unpredictable, non-personal force. And we recognize today, Holy Spirit, that you're a person and we want to get to know you. We want to know you. What do you think? How do you feel? We want all that comes from a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Spirit, that you know the mind of God, that you search all things. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us the content of the gospel. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell not just with us, you dwell in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you accomplish all things. Thank you that you give life to those who believe. Thank you that you cry out from within our hearts. You teach us to pray. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you lead us in the ways of God, that you help us in our weakness, that you intercede for us, that you work all things together for ultimate good. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you strengthen your your church. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you give joy, that revelation comes from you, that we serve by the Spirit, that we walk by the Spirit, that we're sealed by the Spirit. We live by the Spirit. We live by your Spirit. And we want to move past all the excess or the absence or the abuse that we've seen or not seen. And we want to move towards what we see in Scripture. Which is a people fully alive and in a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're, we're putting our trust in you. We're not going to move away from you. We're going to move towards you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work here with us. Amen. Hey, thank you guys for letting me preach long and sign up for to get uh, baptized or to go to man camp. Thanks for listening. We want to be a resource for you as you walk with Jesus. So please connect with us at radiantvicelia.com. Until next time. Bye.